Welcome to another episode of Capital Roots, brought to you by Capital Farm Credit, where we bring you the experts in the ag industry. You can both love agriculture and be a conservationist. You know, conserving and putting back into better than it's found. I'd love being part of that. In addition to a few Texas legends along the way, we're your hosts, Joe Patronella and Clint Cryer. Thank you for listening. Now let's get back to our roots. Welcome back to Capital Roots. Today, we've got John Jones with Lucko Pond and Lake Management. John, you're kind of a jack of all trades, but before we get into everything else, I, I want to hear about this pond and lake management operation that you have. So uh, could you kind of tell us your background about how you got into it and what all y'all service and your territory and everything? Yeah, I mean, that could take a little while, but to, to keep it simple, we manage about 8,000 ponds and lakes in Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. Uh, we started in 2003 and, and uh, have grown since then. Okay. That's, that's quite a territory. Yeah, but there's more to be had. There, I like that mindset. Yeah. I've got a sec- set a record today for the first question. Okay. Boom. Tell us the difference between a pond and a lake. A lake is something that you spend money on. <laughs> okay. Okay. Works. Yep. Where does a tank fit in there? Is that more of an agrarian body of water? Uh, generally, if you say tank, that means that you're really involved with agriculture. Okay. That's kind of what I always figured. But a tank can be a pond or a lake. But probably means you have some cows. Okay. So really involved with agriculture. What do, you, what do you mean there? Is that like country bumpkin or does that mean you're just an, an agriculturalist? I would say it means that you make a portion of your income off of agriculture. Let's talk about your business a little bit. Okay. What do you do, technically speaking? My wife, late night, calls me the Prince of Minnows. So <laughs> I like to say I sell fish. That's a good handle. Yeah, I'll take it. CB radio yeah, or I'll something. Take, I would, absolutely. Channel 19. Heck yeah. Channel 19 in Brazos County? Anywhere. Anywhere. Okay. Anywhere. So what's the Prince of Minnows mean? Well, I mean, technically what we do is we, we're a full service on the lake management company. If you're unfamiliar with that, I can just say, think about a pool company except for your lake. And so we spray weeds, we stock fish, we do electrofishing surveys that will um, tell you how many fish you have and how fat or skinny they are and what you need to do to improve your lake. We build lakes, we build ponds, um, fountains, aeration systems, just basically anything to do with water that's outside. Wow. So the, the fish counting or the fish, what was that again? It's electrofishing surveys. You'd love that. I yeah, that's fascinating. I believe I have to pay my employees to do this, but um, you're on a boat and we um, have a way to pulsate electricity through the water and the fish around the boat will float to the top. We net them, weigh them, measure them, look at densities that sort of thing. And, and the biologists write reports based on that and your goals. So does yours fit in a little Copenhagen can and hook to your trolling motor battery? Ooh, you should go to jail for knowing <laughs> that. So, no, it doesn't, but the principles are similar. I got you. I got you. That's neat. So let's talk about, uh, well, let's talk about how you know that. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about it from yeah, a friend. Okay, okay. As Clint's attorney, I'm going to say he's going to plead the fifth and we're going to move right along. Okay. So let's talk about some of the goals of, of the people that you work for. Why would they want to do this? I think generally all of them want to, um, to improve what they have as far as, as what nature provided. So a lot of people are into restoring their properties and, and making them better. And after you work on the, the crops and the animals and the trees, you know, you kind of look at your pond and say, I'd like to do the same to my pond or lake. And so you know, your goals can be varied, although a lot of times they're intertwined. Could be better fishing, could be better aesthetics. 
um, that are recreation, maybe even boating or water skiing or, or you know, all types of things. Um, but water in Texas is precious, and a lot of people are, are taking more and more notice to it. So what may have been a cow pond 50 years ago, that same pond can now be a lake in front of somebody's house that has a little bit different set of goals than just watering the livestock. That's what's beautiful about ponds and lakes is you can do more than, than one thing. Definitely. Definitely. Would you say the primary goal might be the fishery in your work? No, I wouldn't say that. Um, there's a lot of people believe they want to grow record fish, but the, the reality is, is just having a good day fishing, a good day recreating with your family and friends is, is really more important. A lot of people don't know how to convey that, but that's the truth is they want to have a good day fishing. Uh, but I would say that's usually secondary at best. Are you ever involved in the actual structuring of the body of water, or is it more quality of what's in the water? Uh, both. So I have a separate company that okay. that builds lakes from the ground up, and so I love doing that because many lakes were built for um, livestock water, maybe kind of as an afterthought with a company that does it on again, off again, and so they're not as good as they could have been, but having the ability to build that from the ground up is, is special and something that's going to last, you know, well after I'm gone. So I put a lot of pride into that. What makes a, a well-built body of water like that? You know, first is sizing it properly to the watershed. That's number one. Uh, you want it to be waterproof or something close to that. That's really important. Sure. And, um, and then making sure it's built to the, to the goals that you have, whether that's having drought resistance or our great fishing or, maybe big enough to water ski um, or, you know, I think for a lot of people is digging it deep enough that it will not grow weeds because weeds are a long-term maintenance expense that if you can not have, you're better off. That makes sense. You have to just think of your lake. It's basically the same as a pasture. If you, if you do things to your pasture to make it better up front, it's going to be less maintenance long-term. Your, your pond or lake is the exact same thing. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about your territory, but Texas specifically do you take different approaches to where you are geographically in the state to how you handle the client, the property? I mean, aside from their goals, just the terrain that you're in. Yeah, especially during the, the construction phase. As you move farther west, west it's less likely that the, the soil itself is going to be conducive to holding water. Sure. So you'll do plastic liners or clay liners or different types of way to make the lakes more waterproof. There's a certain water quality parameters it goes from a soft water out east to a harder water out west and then as you move to certain parts of the state up north in the panhandle and, and down towards abilene and down in some of the southern parts of the state south texas there's a lot of salt issues that you work around um, and, and obviously rainfall at the end of the day you know fish can't live and cows can't drink it if there's no water in it so you want to have a lake that lasts through the droughty times that's so cool to me i yeah. love that it really is going back to made the comment water is precious in, in Texas. I think of that saying, you know, uh, in Texas, whiskey's for drinking and water's for fighting. <laughs> it's the new oil. Yeah, you used to be good at it. So I'm curious, <laughs> is most of your work on static bodies of water? And I know there's a, there's a technical term on this. I think back to wildlife management classes in college, but versus moving bodies of water. Yeah, I'd say, um, we do do some work, um, both for the state and, and for individuals that have um, creeks and, and rivers flowing through their place. But generally, fisheries work is going to be done on a, a body of water that's fully contained. Um, maybe a little bit of weed treatment sometimes in those creeks and areas like that. Gotcha. So let's talk about your 
one of your greatest success stories on development of a, of a lake, whether it was a greenfield or, or anything that stands out? You know, probably there's no single success story on that. What, what I consider, you know, the greatest accomplishments on Friday and Saturday when I get pictures from parents and grandparents of the fish that their kids, that their uh, kids or grandkids have caught, um, you know, that does it for me. And, um, or when I fly around the state and I see a lake that our company built and I know it's going to be there for a really long time, uh, you know, we've made a mark on the land and uh, we've improved it in a way that's going to last for generations. So um, been involved, obviously, with some of the most special projects around um, in the public world. We were able to help uh, Parks and Wildlife to, to clean up at, down at um, Caddo Lake mm. and knock back the giant Sylvania. That was really neat. Um, and f- or with our fisheries company, believe it or not, probably my greatest success in, in that area was being able to help during Hurricane Harvey, having the boats and the equipment and, and the, the folks to be able to help people get out of their houses. So it's different than what you would think, but that's what I consider our successes. No, I, I like that. That's a, such a humble answer, and I thank you for that. But really, I think you could sum that all up with the word conservation. And I think that's a, a word that a lot of agencies use, but you're actually – conserving the land for future generations and that's something that's direly needed you know conserving and putting back into better than it's found that's you know a common trend with the properties that we work at as people buy that property they usually are able to um, afford to to make it better than what they found it and i'd love being part of that absolutely i really think that's a great tie into agriculture you know we, we call this capital roots and you know obviously we're passionate about agriculture at, at, at capital farm credit but i think to what you're you're saying there, you know, the conservation piece of it. I've always liked to say that agriculturalists are, you know, the ultimate conservationists. And I think it all just comes together. Yeah. It's a shame not everybody sees it that way, but I certainly do. Um, I see it day in and day out. And um, you can both love agriculture and be a conservationist. As a matter of fact, you are the greatest ones. Yep. Yep. I think we're getting our story out that way. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yep. John, you'd mentioned doing some work in conjunction with Hurricane Harvey and maybe some cleanup there. Could you just expand on that and tell us how you were involved and what you did maybe? Yeah, I love to. I love talking about, um, you know, that, that time changed my life forever, changed a lot of the, the viewpoints uh, that I have and certainly affected everybody in our company. Um, when Hurricane Harvey hit, I had the same views that every business owner had. You know, I was looking at the flooding, so, well, the state will handle that and not really knowing what that meant, uh, but watching, um, watching the TV, I saw a, a picture come across of some folks in a, in a retirement home and they were up to their chest and, and, you know, in water and wheelchairs. And I think everybody's seen that picture and, yeah. and that was it. So, you know, all thoughts of liability and, and, um, what could happen if, if we hurt somebody or ourselves just kind of went out the window and said, look, we have a lot of boats, we have to go. And so, you know, we ended up getting two dozen boats and trucks ready to go and made a call around to all of our managers and employees and see if anybody wanted it. Of course, everybody wanted to go. And we went down there and ended up uh, getting more than 3,000 people out of their houses. And so um, that's fantastic. I had yeah. no idea that was, you know, going to be something I was called to do or our team would be called to do. And, and um, it worked out. And it worked out for a lot of reasons. It didn't hurt that we worked for a lot of people in the know and, and have connections and were able to get us into the city. And once we were there, there was certainly a need uh, for an organized force with, that could mass move a lot of people. And um, it's become a passion in my life for sure to, um, to better organize and, and support 
uh, with with boat owning volunteers during um, aquatic emergencies during flooding events. And since that time, we've done work in Louisiana and multiple floods in Texas. And and um, it's something I'm very very passionate about. There's a lot of folks out there that that um, have boats and uh, are great at operating them, but they don't know the first thing about how to connect with the authorities during flooding events mm-hmm. and how to be more effective. Mm-hmm. And um, there's no reason for the state to have enough people to handle a Harvey. That's not a reasonable, that's not a reasonable use for our taxpayer dollars. So being able to, to bridge the gap between public and private and, um, and be able to use the people that want to help with the people that know, you know, what needs to be done and, and, and bridge that gap. So there's a lot going on there. We've made huge strides. Um, there's a few things legislatively that need to be done. Um, and some, and some awareness training that needs to be done for the boat owning volunteers. So they're not a liability and, um, and even further accentuate what they're able to do during flooding events. So it is, it's quite a thing. I'll, I'll never forget that. It's pretty awesome. As I think about it, you know, that public private partnership, you know, it's really at the end of the day, it comes down to humanity. And I think in so many times in society today, we've been polarized by political uh, division or whatever it may be. And some of that has been galvanized within us such that we forget about humanity and our fellow man and those types of things. It, it was neat to be involved in something. It's exactly what you said. You know, the first thing I thought about is lawsuits and, and who could get hurt and what could happen. But the reality is, you know, I, I personally took somebody out of their house that would have passed away had I not been there. And, you know, that's my story. And, and there was a lot of us there and each one of us has stories similar to that. And, um, in this case, you know, I think we did nothing but help. More importantly, we're a tiny group. There was thousands of people that were compelled to go there with every shape and size of boat and with no training, just knew how to drive a boat and wanted to help. And, um, as we left, I recognized that there's, there's an ability for us to do even more, um, playing off that huge, humanity when you feel it you feel it you just got to help and um, in some cases volunteers you know kind of congest things up but with a little bit of knowledge they're a powerful force you know I I use this um, analogy sometimes for that that if you need a I live in College Station you live in Lubbock let's say we needed to knock down a building in Lubbock Okay. I don't know why we need to do that, but maybe we do, you know? And so the, the state sponsored folks, you know, they're like having a D 12 bulldozer Mm -hmm. and uh, to get a bulldozer from here to Lubbock takes a lot. You got to have permits. You got to have a big Mm -hmm. truck. You got to have a driver for the truck. It takes a long time. You know, turns out maybe there's already a hundred D three bulldozers in Lubbock and they may not know what they're doing. Not as effective. But they're already there and they don't right. have everything else going on. And, right. and that's how I look at, at volunteers. Not so much, in no way are they as qualified as, as a Swiftwater rescue team. But for doing some of the grunt work that doesn't require a lot of qualification and skills, they can actually be a, a force multiplier and, um, and they're already there. So why not use them? You know, they're going to show up. Why not make them more effective? Definitely. I think about the organization and for whatever reason, it may be crazy, but my mind goes to like a truck dispatch, being able to have that level of organization. If you've got D12s in Lubbock, but and don't have to take them from the Brazos Valley, let's say, if you could organize that such to where you can, it makes you much better at utilizing resources. Well, and, and that's what we've put together. You know, it's a very simple plan. It has to be simple, but you have to have a place to go. Um, you have to have things to do. 
and you have to have a list of what to take. What you don't realize when you go and get involved in a flood like that is that you're going to need to be self-sufficient for about a week. So you got to have your own fuel. Sure. Um, you have to have your own food. You got to have a place to, you know, or a, a bedroll to sleep because you don't know where you're going to sleep. And you certainly don't want to be a burden on emergency management. So. Yep. So you've made a couple of references to Lubbock and, and growing up. So I got to ask you some, some questions. Where, where did you grow up? Um, well, I've lived all over. Uh, I've lived in, I think, 10 or 12 states. Um, but I went to high school in shallow water, which, you know. Yeah. Is, know where that's at. Yeah, I thought you would. And, um, you know, was heavily involved in, in FFA there. And um, my, my family owns a water well drilling company and service company up there. So that's what I did when I was young. Yeah. Um, I wasn't planning on coming to college at all. Um, I planned on staying up there and drilling water wells. And one day I was sitting on a, a friend of mine's couch who had got into A&M and, and there was a little college catalog and, and I was thumbing through it, thumbing through it and um, couldn't find anything I wanted to do. So I guess I was going to stay drilling water wells. And I got to the very last page. It was College of Wildlife and Fisheries, right? And, um, well, that's pretty neat. And I'm thumbing through that said degree in fisheries management and um so well hey i love fishing and somebody had told me the day before you know john if you love what you do you never work another day in your life and it sounds kind of cliche now but at the time you know we're talking groundbreaking stuff here yeah, yeah. and i was like well i love being a pro fisherman i love fishing so i'm going to get a degree in fisheries management and be a pro fisherman so boom there you go the next day i applied to a and m and hey you know, I'm and here i am now it turns out that I was a good fisherman for Lubbock. This is before Lake Allen Henry, okay? But I wasn't very good for down here, so I quickly had yeah. my dreams dashed. I'm, I'm a fan of that logic, though. Anytime you can base your logic on fishing, can <laughs> yeah. that be the structure for which you're making decisions? Not it, a bad It, it worked out, you know. Yeah. Hey, who would ever thought? Um, but I didn't know what a lake manager was. I don't even know that if I, I knew what Parks and Wildlife was at the time. You know, I just, I love fish. You know, I, in the other places I lived, I always lived in in, in very rural areas mm -hmm. and just had a deep, deep love for the outdoors. Now I left the South Plains because I like trees and water and there's a bit of a Not shortage up there, yeah. but uh, you know, some of the best people around. Hey Joe, you know what I find interesting? What do you find interesting, Clint? That the aquatics expert left shallow water. <laughs> I love those shallow water, uh, plain view. No, no. I, I love the names of those towns mm -hmm. up there. Just very logical. But they are shallow. Water it actually yeah. is shallow in plain view. There is a view of the plane. I'm so, telling you, you know, they make sense. I'm happy. I don't know, maybe, but you know, yeah. I'll go with it. Well, it all worked out how it was supposed to. It, absolutely. You know, you just never know, but it did work out. So moving to the Brazos Valley kind, kind of might have been your first real, um, I won't say understanding, because I think everybody's under, understanding of agriculture, but maybe glimpse into agriculture. Well, I mean, in I was heavily involved in ag as, as you know, a family that's involved around water. You know, I mean, you're married to the farmers and yeah. the need for water. And obviously, you know, water issues are really important up in Lubbock with the cutoff aquifer and, and continuing to have water uh, amounts change up there. Um, coming down here is a different type of agriculture up there. It's cotton and what is the cotton price going to do and, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. good years and bad years and tornadoes and, you know, you know what it is. And, uh, so down here, it's a different sort of agriculture. It's a lot more mixed. There's a lot different types of crops. Um, the dries aren't, I didn't even know how to behave when I came down here because I thought rain only happened once or twice a year. And so <laughs> I moved down here and it was a wet year, but I, 
called back home. I said, hey, you know, it rains every day here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no, no, every day it rains. It used to rain every day here. Yeah, it's changed a little bit. Okay, but Sadly, that year yeah. when I came down, mm -hmm. about six months, it rained every day. And, you know, it took a while to get used to that. I bet. But um, no, always going to be around agriculture. Uh, I love production in, in, any, um, in any form. I'm the current president of the Texas Aquaculture Association. So, Are you really? Uh, yeah. There's huh. a fish farming that's is something neat. that's near and dear to me. And, and uh, you know, I appreciate the struggles, the amount of risk that a farmer takes to make a, you know, a living, whether modest or otherwise. They, they, they leverage everything to be able to produce. And uh, it takes real guts to do that. And, you know, we're all recipient of that, being able to eat and, 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 not concern ourselves with day to day where food comes from, you know, because a long time ago, your day was consumed from morning till night with staying warm and producing food. That was it. Yeah. And, and because of agriculture, commercial agriculture, you know, we have luxuries of doing things that we did not have time to do even a, a hundred years ago. Yep. Texas Aquaculture Society. Yeah. Talk to me about that because I, I recently just learned the term aquaculture and yeah. I think that's such a slick word. Well, so uh, culture, aqua, you know, I, I know, yeah. I know agriculture, aquaculture, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it, I mean, it just it's like a, ring, a right? light bulb went off on my head. I was like, wow. So what do y'all do? Um, well, it's combined, uh, it's comprised. Its members are all the people that grow fish or most of the people that grow fish or, mm -hmm. you know, not just fish, shrimp, aquatic organisms, yeah. um, in the state. And, um, you know, believe it or not, there's a thriving aquaculture industry yeah. and they produce a tremendous amount of food. It's generally in a few areas of Texas where there's enough water to support it. And it's, you know, it's got its challenges. Texas has got all sorts of needs for water and fish require water. So there's a balance there, but, um, top shelf product. And, um, there's a lot of stigmas that need to be erased about farm raised fish, but good American farm raised product. Um, you just can't beat it. Yep. And so I was recently, um, down for a board meeting for that and, and, and some of the biggest redfish producers are down there, uh, down the coast around Palacios, as well as some of the biggest shrimp producers. And so um, if you haven't tried Texas farm-raised aquaculture products, you should. You should ask for it. And um, I personally know the people that run those farms and, and all great people. Fantastic. Well, that's good to know. Yep. We've actually got a few customers in that area in, yep. in the aquaculture business. Yeah, well, um, it's great products for sure. On the subject of aquaculture, let's talk some of the, about some of the challenges over the last couple of years to, to that business. Look, you know, when people ask me, should I get into fish farming? I'm probably, you know, the worst person for this. I said, probably not. And they say, well, why? But look, if you're willing to work seven days a week and have all your disasters happen at night, because that's when fish generally die, you could probably make a better living in a different career field. That being said, if you're passionate about it, I couldn't be more thankful for people that, that grow fish. It's a, it's a hard business. Your your animals are under the water. They're hard to see. When they die, it's not easy to see why they die. There's a lot of work involved. There's a lot of risk. And there's a lot of competition from, you know, foreign products that are, are maybe have um, less stringent about some of the things that we're stringent about here. But, you know, the, the single biggest issue that the Texas Aquaculture um, Association members have faced in the last couple of years was the big freeze of, what, two years ago now? And... Mm -hmm. uh, and again, last year and, and redfish, which I, I think most of the redfish in America, uh, that are grown in America are grown in Texas. I believe there's one other pretty big, uh, producer on the East coast. I'm a hundred percent sure on that. Um, you know, they're, they're, 
cold sensitive. And so with the issues that the grid had and, and what everybody had with trees that we're not really built for here in Texas, it killed 80, 90% of the redfish crop, maybe even longer. And you have to think about fish. It's a couple year process to go from a baby fish to something that you eat. And so, you know, it wiped it all out. And the, luckily all the producers were able to, to band together and, and work with their local uh, reps and senators and the, and the, the American uh, Aquaculture Association, National Aquaculture Association uh, for ELAP, which is um, kind of an insurance policy for that type of uh, kill. It was in place already for a lot of other disasters with agriculture, um, but for whatever reason, food fish were exempted, and so we were able to get that changed. took a lot of work from a lot of folks, um, but now I think producers um, have a little bit less risk and have something to fall back on. It's, it's uh, not perfect, but it's a whole lot better than it was, and, and um, couldn't have been more proud to be part of that effort because it saved a lot of farms from going under. That was to lose everything you have and everything that you were growing for two years from now uh, to lose it all at once like that, you know, not many people could handle that. Imperfect's yep. far better than nothing. Exactly. That's, and it's being improved all the time. Yeah. And um, we were talking about that yesterday. Yep. Yep. You made our efforts to, I was thinking about, you were talking about fish dying at night and I, I got to thinking, you know, really in agriculture, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. I don't know what, you know, problems with, whether it's problems with fish, <laughs> Kevin heifers. <laughs> well, it's it's hard work you know people don't appreciate no. it there's been a lot of technology advancements in, in 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 every area of agriculture and you know there's less small farmers and more big ones and all that but at the end of the day um bad stuff happens at night and requires hard working men and women to to go handle those yeah. problems and so uh, you know those people are fewer and fewer every every decade and so you know we all should appreciate them more and more it's a it's a hard way to make a living but honorable and necessary for the rest of us to live easy lives. So project I'd like to ask you about, uh, you, you had a big hand in, I understand is Aggie park. Yeah. I'm very proud to have been involved in Aggie park with a bunch of other great people. Um, being an Aggie, um, let's go easy. Clint here is the Raider. <laughs> it, it was big of him to even ask the question. Okay. We appreciate that. Clint. Right, do I need to be done now? <laughs> no, 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 no. We really want to hear about it. Cause even being a local here, I don't know much about it. So tell us please. Well, it's about, 300 yards that, that way. That is, yes, we're very close to it <laughs> yeah. right now. So uh, a, f a few years ago, the leadership at the association um, had decided that a park there in kind of an unused part of the campus could be turned into, you know, a, a better use and um, a lake being part of that. There's a large drainage that went through it. And I was involved as a consultant and as an Aggie and as a person who loves fish throughout the process. And today uh, we stock and take care of that lake and, and couldn't be more proud of, of how it's turned out and how many people's lives it touch, how many people have fished for the first time in that lake. And the fishing experience, in my opinion, is probably the single greatest fishing experience in Texas today uh, for, so for, you know, a, an average angler. And um, it's only going up from here. I plan to be the first Red Raider to catch fish at Aggie Park. There you go. You got to show a student ID and uh, we'll have to keep you out. <laughs> but didn't you say earlier, how many people fish there a day or a week? It's, it's an impressive number. I can't tell you how many in total, but it's hundreds. Um, yeah. Anytime that I go there, there's probably 10 to 20 anglers and 80% or so are first time anglers. And so, you know, you can do the math and it's, it's yeah. pretty impressive how many people are being able to fish and, 
more importantly, catch. There's lots of places to fish, but catching is an important part of fishing, and, and that lake you can catch fish. Yeah. What are y'all stocking it with? So far, we've stro- stocked it with um, largemouth bass as a primary species, um, hybrid striped bass, um, rainbow trout, and redfish. Yep. Really cool. It's one of the things that struck me is just the first time fishermen. I think that's a great introduction to go back to the, the subject of agriculture, introduction to agriculture and just the awareness that, you know, you catch what you eat. I want to talk a little bit. I know a little bit about your passion for agriculture personally. Yeah. <laughs> You're famous in, in some respects for your gardening. Yeah. I, um, a lot of people don't realize that I do love to garden and you know, a little different sort of hobby for a guy my age, but I love watching things grow, whether that's fish or grass or, in this case, you know, fruits and vegetables. So I absolutely love to garden. Yeah, I, I'm into um, self-reliance. Yes. Uh, I think it's important to be able to take care of you and yours. And, um, and if you could share that knowledge with other people as well to ways to help them take care of them and theirs. And a lot of times it's not so much ever actually needing to do that, but have the ability to do that. Just having things on hand. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. It's so, another way of saying a really organized hoarder. <laughs> what is it that you really enjoy growing? Um, really, again, anything. So we have a few hundred fruit trees and, um, you know, so they're a little bit more frustrating than a garden. When you mess up in a garden, you can get the rototiller out and start again. Yeah. Um, fruit trees, uh, a little bit more, um, slow paced and you don't want to knock them down every time you mess it up. But Right now, uh, in the garden, we'll have strawberries, <clears throat> potatoes, um, snap peas, and um, soon, in about one more week, we'll start in the garden in earnest. We basically, and no joke, we grow basically every type of vegetable there is. Wow. Hmm? Pretty cool. Love it. Pretty cool. You you talked about some stats. How, how much, do you know the pounds you put up? Uh, generally, we, we give away about ten to 15,000 pounds of food a year. You give it away. Well, I mean, nobody could eat that much. And yeah, that's pretty canning awesome. is, takes a lot of time. So it's, mm. it's special phenomenal. to be able to give it away. Ten to 15,000 pounds. That's feeding Texas. Well, at least little parts of it. Hey, I know. Word it works. So your involvement in agriculture, fruit trees, gardening, fisheries. There's something else, isn't there? Didn't you mention honey? Uh, well, yeah, the, the farm has a lot of, a lot of the outdoor pursuits out there. And we started with some bees years ago to, um, better pollinate. I don't know if it does or not, but you know, sounded good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of work as a hobby. So, you know, sure. I'll give that a, give that a shout out and, uh, it makes it worse that I'm highly allergic to bees, but that's okay. You can power through that. That's dedication <clears throat> right there. It is. I literally buy Benadryl by the thousand count, um, containers and i have lots of them so <laughs> the little pink pills <laughs> lots of them yeah it's kind of freaky how much i have on hand but anyway so so be it um you know bees work when you're not so that's always nice mm-hmm. and um we've got it up this past year we did 1200 pounds of honey and wow. um i don't know what we're gonna do with all we give it away but you got to be within the inner circle to get that i don't just give it to everybody <laughs> that's an upper tier item exactly gotcha know where you rank mm-hmm. <laughs> so you bottle it in the honey bears uh, even better little, little glass muff jars, but I did have some of the bears to start off. Reusable. Yeah. Yeah. If you bring them back bonus, you can, might get honey next year. If you don't <laughs> bring them back, I know what type of person you are. Exactly. That's right. 
So as we consider going back to the fisheries operation, what are some mm-hmm. good stories there? What's the biggest bass you've ever grown? Uh, the biggest bass I've ever seen in electrofishing survey is 19 pounds, one ounce. 19, one. And Just so the state record <clears throat> is? Less than. Yep. 18.18 is what I believe it to be currently. 18.18. Mm-hmm. So you grew a state record bass? Is what I'm hearing. Well, it grew in one of the ponds I manage. So uh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take a little credit. But what part of the state would that be in? About 72 miles south of here. South of here. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's small fantastic. pond, four acres, three foot average depth, and um, and that lake grew some monster fish. Uh, we grow a lot of fish in the teens, of course, um, but to see a fish that big, that's a dinosaur. How old yeah. would that fish be? You know, I can't tell you without killing mm-hmm. the fish but mm-hmm. you know i would say between seven and 12 years old seven to 12 if, if i was guessing it was you know it's an older fish for sure towards the end of its life so i'm curious in that in that case was that a strategic plan to grow that fish or was it just based on good management practice good management practice that particular um owner was um he's not an avid fisherman he loves his lake he has a beautiful uh, high-end cattle ranch and and now it's you know in the middle of the city of course but um you know it's a he he just loved having a, a quality lake and having good fish, and in his case, he got great fish. Yeah, but there's other properties that have obviously a lot more of those size fish, but a little bit smaller. Probably pretty interesting to a lot of our listeners, a lot of our customers at Capital, as we finance you know farms and ranches really across the state. I think fisheries is something that is probably important to a lot of them. You've probably worked with a lot of our customers. I'm aware of several, and of course, um, unaware of a whole lot more. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we thank you for helping our customers. Well, thanks for letting me. Definitely. Appreciate your passion for agriculture. Well, it's been there since I was a tiny kid, you know, if not just agriculture, but being outside. And um, so being outside in agriculture, a lot of times right next to each other. Definitely. That's really an underappreciated part of agriculture, in my opinion, is just being outside. Oh, yeah. Just reset, kind of clear your mind get the sunshine, be happy, wear less clothes, the whole thing. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being here today, John. Had some interesting stories for us today. I think I think our listeners will find it very interesting as well. Yeah. Of course. I'm happy to be here. Look, look forward to the next time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to fishing at Aggie Park. <laughs> You're good. I'll take you. Where'd you go to school? <laughs> Let's just leave that off the air. Say, I love Texas A&M, and I'll take you to great. I love Texas A&M. I'll jump in. All right. Time. There you go. There you go. There you go. How big a bass are we talking? As big as you can catch if you go with me, but I'll take you to the right Let places. me think about this. This might be a, a statement that needs to go on air for the second visit with you. <laughs> okay, that'll work. There we <laughs> okay. Go. Well, John, thanks for coming on. Uh, Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Appreciate Thank it, you. guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today on Capital Roots. Texas agriculture is the foundation of our story and what makes us family. Capital Farm Credit is a proud member of the Farm Credit System. We finance farmers, ranchers, agricultural producers, and rural landowners, and we're here to make your vision a reality. We've been serving rural Texas for more than a century. Whether it be traditional, innovative, or lifestyle, we'll help you cultivate new ground. We're all in this together. Because together, we're better.